Welcome to the IEEE Brain Podcast Series, an IEEE Digital Studio production. This episode is brought to you by IEEE Brain in partnership with the IEEE Circuits and Systems Society. Gerald Yu, Associate Professor of Electrical and Computer Engineering at the National University of Singapore and also a PI of the university's N of One Institute for Health, shares insights on the benefits of advancing wearable health technology, particularly as it relates to brain disorders such as seizures and epilepsy. Gerald, thank you for taking some time to speak with us today. Can you start by providing a little information about your educational and work background? I got my degree from KAIST, which is Korea Advanced Institute of Science and Technology back in 2010. And then I joined then Master Institute of Science and Technology, which is in UAE, Abu Dhabi, UAE. Um, and my first year as a faculty at Master Institute, I was in Boston, Massachusetts, as a visiting scholar to MIT. And then um, in 2017, I moved to uh, National University of Singapore, which is NUS, as I said, as an associate professor. And since then, I have been with NUS. And um, I do research on wearable healthcare, body area network for communication and powering, and ultrasound system, uh, with a specialty on integrated circuit design. Integrated circuit is the uh, IC, as you know. So when did you first become involved with IEEE and the societies that you're currently working in? Yeah, yeah. So I, I first became the member of IEEE and back in 2006 when I was a still student member. I mean, at that time, I was a student member. And then I joined the Solicitor Circuit Society as well as the Circuits and Systems Society back in 2010 when I became the faculty. Yeah. And then uh, since then, I have been working on both societies quite actively. And uh, in 2017 to 2018, I served as a distinguished lecturer for Solicitor Circuit Society. And from 2019 until this year, I'm serving as the Distinguished Lecturer for Circuits and Systems Society. So as a sponsoring society of IEEE Brain, can you provide some insight on the intersection between the two? Yeah. So I think this is a very important question. Um, First of all, the, the field that I'm working on, the application I'm working on is in the wearable healthcare. And it's specifically since 2010, I have been working on seizure and epilepsy detection using the integrated circuit that is patient-specific. So that's the link. So uh, in order to make something patient-specific in a pervasive form factor, it, it's better that we make the form factor very small. And that's what the circuits and systems, as well as the solicit circuits, are very good at. And that's the link. And I have a belief that having such a small form factor system is very crucial for um, the wearable healthcare that I'm, I'm going to talk about today. So that's where the circuit and systems, in short, we call it COS and, and SSCS. These societies are contributing to the brain because the application we are talking about is very closely tied to uh, this, this small system that I'm, I'm talking about. So, Gerald, can you speak more specifically about the potential benefits the technology you're working on can bring? That's right. So, um, 
the, the term that I would like to use, emphasize today, is the patient-specific wearable healthcare. And it's an important way to detect the chronic condition at early stage. So the early stage means that, um, as you know, the chronic diseases tend to get worse as time passes by. And in most of the cases, when the chronic conditions, when the, once the symptom appears, it's very difficult to cure. So it's rather, either, uh, the target should be rather to slow down or prevent it from getting any worse. So that means the earlier you detect the prognosis, I mean, the earlier you detect the symptom, the better prognosis you'll have. So then what it means is that detecting symptom at early stage is very, very important. And this can be done by bringing the healthcare into everyday life. So in other words, pervasive or wearable healthcare, as I said, and that is doing the continuous monitoring and detecting the health status. And uh, which means, how do you achieve that? Well, I, I have a belief that this can be done by doing the wearable healthcare. And that means continuous and continuous monitoring is very, very important, important as I said. But uh, let's think about it. However complicated the technology may be, if the patient does not use it, then it's useless, right? So that's why I say that um, being pervasive, where the monitoring is less disruptive to everyday life, is a must. And that's why the wearable healthcare actually shines. And, and that's where I got interested in its topic as a member of the class and, and SACS. So uh, I, I use the terminology pervasive and there's a good reason for it. The wearable I'm talking about here is, for example, a good example of the wearable that I'm talking about would be a patch, like a Band-Aid foam factor. But if you want to integrate the system that monitors your health in a Band-Aid foam factor, certainly using the off-the-shelf device would not be ideal solution because it would be too bulky. But imagine if you can make it into a small patch that integrates everything, including the battery and powering solution, and you can wear it for, let's say, weeks or maybe weeks is too much, let's say about up to a week, then uh, the this disruptive to everyday life will be much, much less compared with what you said, like a device that, that dangles around and then people doesn't use it after a couple of days. So that's what I'm, I'm interested in. And I think this is very uh, important to make a small form factor. With all new technologies, we hear a lot about ethics. Are there any specific ethical concerns involved with wearable technology? Yeah, this is also a very, very important um, aspect, and I'm very happy that you brought up this. Now, um, if you're talking about, um, let's say, lifestyle, or let's say that's for beneficial for multimedia, maybe uh, that will be a different story. But here we are talking about the chronic condition where um, if you don't, do anything, the, um, the the symptom will be getting worse and worse every day, and that's where. And as I said, the good example is seizure and epilepsy. So the the uh, benefit you're getting it from having these devices is is much much more than what you're thinking. And I don't think there's a room for ethical. Um, it, this is not something that we should watch in 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 the view in the ethical aspect but rather in the uh, view of quality of life of the patient suffering from these conditions. So what types of educational tracks do you believe are important to help advance these types of technologies? Yeah, I think this is a very, also a very uh, important question. So 
Um, obviously, I think one very important aspect we need to consider is that you need to have, I, I say, the pillars to achieving this wearable healthcare. Uh, one of the pillars is, medic, um, of course, the application-wise, the symptoms and deep understanding about the symptoms. So if you have a colleague, the physician or medical doctors, that's very, very important pillar. And as you, uh, you as an engineer, if you want to contribute, probably you need to have a proper background on making small form factor electronics that we are talking about. And I'll be uh, probably interested in uh, talking about some how to enable these electronic, um, electronics and how to detect the diseases, which will be later in the uh, interview. But as I said, one is about the deep understanding of applications. So that means if, unless you're a physician or medical doctor, you need to have a good colleague. And then uh, other side, on your side, you need to have a good background on, on the engineering side of making small form factor electronics. And of course, another pillar is to make the application itself in, that is closer to, to uh, the form factor of the patient, him or herself, meaning that you need to also have the, um, the user interface design. The user interface includes not only uh, the form factor of the patch or the wearables, but also the interface that the medical doctors can access. So you, you, you don't want any jargon per se. Let's, let's say that the data is streamed or you got the data downloaded, you need to have the user interface that is easily accessible by non-engineers as well. So those are three factors I can say. Just to summarize, it's the uh, good colleague on the medical background and the good engineering background on yourself as well as the user interface. Those are the three factors I would say. So using seizures and epilepsy as an example, how does the interaction between medical professionals and the engineers play out? So uh, when you're talking about seizure and epilepsy, as of now, there are around 2 million patients suffering from epilepsy and uh, about more than 70 million people around the world are affected by this. And uh, if you look at how the current seizure detection is made, is that uh, still we rely on physicians asking questions to patients. So for example, uh, the physician, I mean, the doctor is sitting with the patient and asking questions, how many seizures did you have for the last two weeks, for example? And depending on the answer, the, um, the medication is given and the treatment is done. And most likely the subsequent in-hospital EEG and video recording will follow to confirm. But this, however, if you think about it, is ineffective for infants or pediatric patients. Uh, but, but I said in earlier that the earlier detect the seizure or chronic conditions, the better prognosis you'll likely have. So this is an irony, right? So you need to detect it earlier in your life, the symptom uh, before it starts developing. But for pediatric patients or infants, that's very difficult because you cannot interview them. So then uh, we also have some uh, like half joke, this is a half joke, what the doctors say uh, for the pediatric patients suffering from seizure and epilepsy to uh, monitor, this, go back home and, and monitor these uh, children carefully over, uh, over the next days. And uh, parents do that with sleep. And then after sleepless nights, a couple of days, the parents will have seizure from lack of sleeping. And of course, this is a half joke, but so this is where the need is there. And obviously, you want to make sure that the monitor, because the seizure, you don't know when it will happen. It's very important that you do it day and night, the monitoring. 
So that's why the small form factor is very important, as I said. But so now let's say, let's come back to that. How do you actually make a small form factor? Is that this is where the integrated circuit, the IC, is very, very important. And that's where the uh, cost and SSCS background is going to shine. So uh, what we are talking about here is that how do you make, instead of using like off-the-shelf uh, amplifiers, off-the-shelf transmitters and, and off-the-shelf processors, you are going to make a dedicated IC integrated circuit that does all. So in other words, you amplify the uh, EEG signal, you classify, you, you're going to digitize it and classify it and then determine if it is a seizure or not. And this is how you're going to achieve. So you have everything integrated. And of course, you also need to record the raw data. Once there's suspicious seizure activity is detected, you need to also record the raw data. This is very important as well, because whenever you are going to also talk with the physician or medical doctors, you always have to have the raw data as well. So this is also an important factor I would like to emphasize. Just detecting seizure is one thing, but you also need to record the raw data and then also to keep it with you before you can submit. Isn't it possible that people could be experiencing seizures and not even knowing it? That's right. That's absolutely right. So this type of seizure, we call it an absence seizure. So this is why actually uh, detecting seizure with a patient specific is very challenging as well. I think you're touching a very important um, condition there as well because pediatric patients, has a frequent absent seizure, so to speak. So the absent seizure is, a seizure, is the condition where um, the patient doesn't even recognize he or she is going through the seizure. And, and you might have seen uh, some cases like that, that the children plays normally and then uh, for suddenly for about five to 10 seconds freeze for per se, like, uh, like he or she is frozen like as if, and then comes back to normal life. And during that case, during that period, and seizure, an absent seizure episode has happened. So this is why having, knowing and capturing those conditions are very important because you need to know how frequent these conditions are, I mean, these episodes are occurring. So to understand that, there are many ways of detecting it. But if you're in the hospital, for example, and then you have these uh, 1020 um, EEG electrodes connected, glued onto your skull, then obviously you can also monitor with the video footage combined with that, you can actually uh, monitor quite accurately. But that's not wearable per se. So then the other option we have is to go ahead with the surface EEG with the patch form factor or the helmet or let's say hat type. Or uh, if you really want more accurate while it's wearable, you can, I mean not wearable, but you, if you really want to mobile form factor with quite accurate monitoring, then you can also go ahead with the uh, intracranial EEG or invasive EEG, we call it IEEG. But um, in my opinion, I mean, that's also a good direction to research on, but in my opinion, surface EEG would be much more convenient. So if you can make advancement there, that would be also meaningful. Okay, so then uh, what's the news here is that typically not all the patients, but most of the patients, many of the patients actually has an electrical onset that precedes the clinical onset by, let's say, around 10 to 30 seconds. Again, not all the patients are like this, but many patients are like that. So if you can actually detect the electrical onset quickly enough before the clinical onset hits, 
there's also a good chance that you can intervene with a closed loop system, or for example, with a transcranial stimulation, for example. So, and, and this is also uh, how to detect these seizure cases. But as you have asked, there are different types of seizure, right? For example, uh, we say focal seizure, where for you, from a specific point of skull, you can find the seizure patterns from the surface EG. Or there also, can, uh, we call it generalized case, where uh, the seizure episode is observed from all over the skull. And as, I, as we have uh, talked about in the beginning, there's also absent seizure. So this is what we call as a spatial variation. And the problem of detecting seizure and epilepsy from surface EEG is because there are so many variations. So just we spoke is the spatial variation. And uh, there's also patient-to-patient -patient variation in the pattern. So what do I mean by that is, what is a seizure pattern for patient A can be a normal pattern for patient B. And that's really making it challenging for um, hardware to adapt. So this is particularly the case for the surface EEG whereas for the um, intracranial or uh, implantable EEG, invasive EEG, the case is less, less likely like that. And I hope that was the only variation, but there's another variation we, which you call it age to age, age eight, maybe different from page uh, the age 11. So again, this detecting has to adapt to these changes in variation. So that's why uh, detecting the seizure becomes quite tricky and that's where the research has to work on. So, Gerald, what advice or insights can you offer students or young professionals who might be interested in this particular field? Um, I think one of the uh, points I would like to stress here is that um, it would be important to look for the uh, field that's not strict that doesn't look as at the one at one point doesn't look very strictly related to yours but if you get interest into maybe you can uh, expand the perimeter so for example what do i mean by that a good example is the uh, electronics to wearables versus wearables to electronics so what do i mean by this as follows okay when i was doing my phd um i got interested into this wearables and, and healthcare and mobile and at that time, I have seen many good researchers working on uh, trying to make the PCB flexible. So we call it flexible PCB. And that works good for uh, many, uh, let's say, multimedia gadgets and wearables like uh, that are working on for, let's say, usage of a couple of hours or one day. But I also observed carefully and saw that that may not be the ideal platform for healthcare that the monitoring is extended over days or even weeks. So at that time, what I thought was, can we actually make wearables to electronics? So what do I mean by that is, what is the most wearable thing that we can see in the everyday life is actually clothing or cloth. So I tried to integrate the PCB, I mean, uh, make the PCB directly on the cloth, piece of cloth, and then that, uh, naturally it is inherently wearable and then uh, doing the screen printing process which was not strictly related to my field which i was a uh, circuit designer integrated circuit designer but nevertheless i got interested into these wearables and then i tried to use my knowledge that i had the expertise i had in the circuit design especially in the integrated circuit design into these wearables and then that's how i made this uh, flexible circuit board 
that's not in the uh, traditional form factor of like uh, polymer based or plastic based, but rather the textile based circuits. So the message here is that uh, if you get interested into this topic, I think it's important to also try to do something that is very new that hasn't been tried before. And, and you can clearly see that not many people have tried making the textiles into electronics. But that's where uh, this innovation can lead and start, initiate. And, and that's one message I would like to give it to you. So are there groups or resources available for people who might be interested in further exploring this technology? Oh, oh if you're asking about the groups working on this technology, of course, there are many, many uh, prominent researchers working on it. And uh, if you're if you're talking about the groups as a whole, um, in, in like say like society, I think it's just emerging emerging field. So uh, it's more scattered around the world, but there are uh, fairly good uh, researchers and prominent researchers in this field as well. But the the message is, I think it's converging between a couple of fields or more fields that uh, makes opens the door to the new field that hasn't existed before. Nevertheless, I think having a very uh, steadfast knowledge on one field is very important, and then you can expand the perimeter. But it, it doesn't mean that uh, you will only work on that field only, because then having this like uh, convergence between fields is very becoming very tough. So probably you want to first make yourself as an expert in one field and then try to expand this perimeter with, with the foundation of that knowledge that you have. That would be, I think, very uh, interesting way to go explore. Again, Gerald, thank you for your time today. Do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share with our listening audience? So uh, after you hear that the patient-to-patient uh, -patient variation and then age-to-age variation, et cetera, the seizure detection, oh, we can do the deep learning to detect, right? This is a natural thought because now it's uh, booming <laughs> with the the uh, neural network-based uh, machine learning and, and, and AI. But uh, there's also a pitfall and then one message I would like to have to the uh, podcast listeners is that um, it's not as easy as you might think with the deep learning because, as I said, for the patient patterns, the seizure patterns, they're very limited. If you make a patient specific, if you're lucky, you have one or two patterns to learn. And that's not a good recipe for deep learning because for deep learning to have a very good result, you need to have really hundreds of thousands of samples to train. So this is why you might have to look back and find and compare with some traditional machine learning instead of the deep learning and, and compare. And, and it, what I found is that actually for this type of condition, very limited training set, with the good accuracy and small latency because you want to detect a seizure before clinical onset hit, actually uh, traditional machine learning actually performs fairly well and sometimes even better than deep learning because of the very limited training set. Whereas uh, if you're targeting for seizure prediction and post-analysis, post-episode analysis or out of the thousands of uh, EEG samples, then this target will be the highest accuracy and you don't care too much about the latency there and you do have many training sets, then the deep learning is the best shot. So what is the message I would like to give it to you here? Is that um, you really need to sit back and question even those 
I'll say the sentence, uh, the thoughts that are widely adopted in today's, you might have to ask yourself, is this actually a good fit for the technology, I mean, good technology for the application we are looking for? So in other words, just because the AI is the boom here and then the new newest AI technology algorithm was proposed and it works fine in the image analysis, doesn't mean it's the best ML, best algorithm for the application you're looking for. So yeah, this is also something that I would like to pitch out. I, I, please don't take it wrongly. I'm not saying that deep learning is not good. It is. So as I said, in the case of the seizure and epilepsy, there are two types. One is the real-time seizure detection with a good accuracy, acceptable accuracy, with a small latency and limited training set. Uh, we found that the traditional machine learning would be better. Whereas if you're talking about the seizure prediction and a post-analysis with the highest accuracy without considering too much about, uh, concern too much of the latency and you have sufficient training sets, then the deep learning is the way to go. Both are very important fields, just you have different applications. Enjoy talking with you. And um, yeah, the, the final message I'd like to give it to you is that uh, I think the wearable healthcare is an attractive means to realizing the continuous health monitoring. And it is a combination. It, it's done with a combination of different fields, not only electronics, but also in the uh, clinicians, as well as the uh, software engineers and the user interface designers as well. So it's the collective work, collective work. So um, having your uh, having your uh, expertise and then expanding it and communicating with the others is very important. Thank you for listening to our interview with Gerald Yu. To learn more about IEEE Brain, please visit our web portal at brain.ieee.org.